Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I'm Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who's been dealing with addiction and mental health issues for several years. I'm walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. Today's guest is Tamara Gabbard. She lives in the jungles of Costa Rica with her toddler, Ruby Jean. Tamara is a copywriter and content marketing strategist, and she also identifies as a soul consultant and clairvoyant. She combines her skills in both the practical and spiritual realms to help people who are struggling to break through the overwhelm that life can bring when trying to make an impact on the world. Like our son Joey, Tamara has done extensive personal research with psychedelics and other substances. She's five years sober now, and she uses some of the things she learned through her psychedelic trips to inform her work, especially finding the root causes of whatever obstacles people get stuck on. Tamara's story is pretty extraordinary, and even if you can't relate to her exact experience, I know you'll be inspired by her talk so you can dig in a little deeper to help yourself and your struggling teen. Welcome to Safe Home, Tamara. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, I know you live in Costa Rica now, which I'm pretty jealous about because we've always wanted to go there or live there some days. <laughs> and But I bet you didn't grow up there. Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Well, I grew up in North Carolina and a little bit in Georgia. My parents were split and it was not a fun growing up. There was always chaos. I had an extremely, extremely narcissistic stepmother, and my mother was always on the search for love. There was never really any connection between me and her. It was always about her and what she was going through. We do now have a, a relationship, and we've, you know, the things that we've been through and the life that we've chosen, we both understand that, you know, people are doing the best that they can. But the traumas that I were dealt with when I was growing up with my dad's side was what kind of sent me down a path of self-destruction. Mm -hmm. Alcoholism and drug addiction were, were strong in the family, especially alcohol. Okay. However, I grew up down there. And then when I was 15 years old, I was left to my own mm -hmm. vices and I lived on the streets for quite a while. Wow. Were you kicked out of your house or just kind of abandoned? or A little bit of both. There was a choice. I could have lived with my mother and I could have lived with my grandparents, but I was at a point in my life where I really was so overwhelmed and so traumatized by the mental abuse that had happened and then the physical childhood trauma that I had endured that I didn't feel comfortable living anywhere. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. And my grandmother will tell you that, that that's all I've ever done is what Tamara wants to do, Tamara's <laughs> going to do it. And, you know, while she uses that as a joke, it wasn't really my idea life. I wouldn't go back and change much, but with an understanding of who I am now, I wouldn't want to escape. I would want to face because mm -hmm. I think I would have been in a better place sooner. I was a straight A student until I dropped out of school. I didn't have problems in school. I didn't have problems with authority or with parents or with, you know, with things. I was just treated horribly because I was the silent person. I wasn't the fighter. I was, oh. and it drove them insane. I was uncontrollable in the sense that I wasn't out of control that I was in control of my own actions and therefore oh. I was able and it drove them crazy because I wouldn't react to their negativity. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. You were not fitting into the system the way they wanted you to. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So you started on a path of self-destruction around 15, which is, that's when we found out our son had gone down that path, but he had been going down the path for a couple of years and we just didn't know it, but that's kind of when it showed up. 15, it seems to be a common age for kids to kind of fall apart around that, that age. You're trying to figure out who you are and you're getting more autonomy. You're like feeling like a grown up, but you're not really. And yeah. So what did it look like for you? At first it was exciting because I was like, I'm doing my own thing, you know, yeah. and as a teenager, you're kind of like, whatever. But when I start observing and being a clairvoyant, even at that age, I was able to observe and really learn from other people about what I did want to do. So for example, at one point I lived in this trailer in the middle of the woods and it was like full of kids and we were all young, but there was like, you know, a lot of, a lot of alcohol being used, a lot of drugs. And, you know, I wasn't a drinker then and I had never tried anything. Mm -hmm. I had never done, you know, a lot of anything, but I wanted to experiment. And like, for instance, I would drink a beer, go to the bathroom, fill it up. And then I would drink and they'd be like, Oh, you can handle your alcohol. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like chugging water, you know? And so oh. I was an observer. I found myself becoming an observer, but the first mm -hmm. time that I ever had an experience with any type of hallucinogenic was the same exact time that I tried cocaine for the first time. And oh. this was an accident. Oh, you tried both at the same time for the first time. Wow. Yeah. See, what happened was me and my girlfriend at the time, we just went and hung out with this guy that we had no idea who he was. And he was being really gross. And the plan was to, we were going to rob him. And this is really messed oh, up okay. but because okay. he had, he had all these drugs, but we ended up dosing and it was the first time I'd ever dosed. And then at some point along their time, I was getting insecure because there was a two-year-old around us. And then at some point he dumped cocaine in my mouth and it, I wasn't snorting it but my mouth went numb and I was tripping on LSD and so it was just like this really wild experience and so from wow. that point on I was really cautious about what I did okay but then I think you know I started dabbling in mushrooms more than I did LSD for a while and then I met some people who I got more involved with and then we started selling I was like 17 years old and LSD, ecstasy, and cocaine were what we did mostly. And okay. we would take Xanax and stuff like that to come off whenever we were coming down. But that from 17 until I was about 21. Okay. So you were living that life. Yeah. Using, selling. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. And there was a lot going on in between there. But LSD was our, was our group drug. We were experimenting with it. We were doing it all the time. I mean... Like I've taken enough, I took enough LSD within that time frame to take enough hits to last me one hit for at least 30 years. Whoa. So, you know, it was, I, I didn't just do a little bit of everything. I did a whole lot of it. Yeah. And so I had multiple different experiences. I can share all kinds of stuff. So I'll let you ask some more questions. Well, um, let me go backwards just a little bit to catch up the clairvoyance aspect. Can you explain what clairvoyance is first and then tell us when you knew you were one or when your gifts started to appear? I've always been a clairvoyant. When I was seven years old, I remember going even younger than that. There was a woman named Susan Brown who was a psychic that worked for the FBI that was friends with my grandmother and I used to go over to her house and I used to hang out with her and I used to draw on her crystals and I used to, I was the only kid allowed to open up her chest and go into her oh. crystals. And so I knew 
what it was, and I knew that I was some, had something special. But it wasn't until I was 13 that I really caught on because I had a flash forward. Oh, okay. I was sitting in my room and I had a flash forward. And then I would have really very detailed dreams of me in situations when I was younger. And then as I got older, these parties that I was in when I was having these dreams when I was younger were coming to fruition. So that deja vu that we have, I was having deja vu, but it was actual dreams that I was having when I was younger. And I remember having these dreams and I have build up dreams where I'll have the same dream, a reoccurring dream over and over, but it will build up into my life. And so after a while, what happened was I would start having visions. Um, When I was 16, I started having visions of things happening of people getting hurt, or I had a vision of the towers going down. I had, you know, and I'm 40 now just to give everybody kind of an aspect, you know, of like the time frame there. But I felt like I was going crazy because mm-hmm. not on top of using and, you know, using the, the, the hallucinogenics and the, the other substances that I was using, I felt like, I'm like, is this real? Like, you know, am I, am I crazy? So the clairvoyancy has always been there. Clairvoyancy is not seeing dead people. It's not like being able to like predict the future. But clairvoyancy is more or less a super hyper awareness with your intuitive awareness. And so I'm able to tap into people's souls. I'm able to connect with people on a subconscious level. Okay. I'm able to connect with people's souls who are living. Okay. So you don't talk to dead people. No. And you don't. <laughs> Choose lottery tickets or tell us, you know, which job no, to take. No, because if that, that was kind. true, we'd be having a whole nother yeah. conversation right now. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. So, but yes, no, yeah, I wish, man, that would be the, that would be the dream, right? But no, I am, <laughs> I'm able to tap into the bigger consciousness. And now yeah. that I've able to release, and so, you know, without going too far forward, and now that I've been able to like really accept my gifts and, it, and use them to help people. People sometimes they meditate, they do certain things to get a connect, you know, connect with the universe and like literally try to get like messaging and like, you know, the whys and the ifs and the what's of why we're here and all of that. I have a direct connection to the universe. Okay. And um, and so I literally can connect and I get like this head buzz. Like when I'm having working with a client or I'm doing that, I get a head buzz and then I'll start channeling. And so I channel the universal messages that are being sent to the person that I'm speaking to. So it's been, it's been interesting working and getting into that space. So. Wow. Do you think that, that I'm just trying to figure out, do you think the trauma that you experienced as a child kind of opened your intuition up to enable you to be clairvoyant? Do you think the two are connected in any way? I don't think it opened me up to be clairvoyant, but I think that it, because the clairvoyancy has always been there, it's something that you're born with. And everybody has it, but it just, yeah. But the thing is, is when you practice more, it, it opens it up more. But what happens with the trauma, so when people go through trauma, there's two things that happen. They either become the problem, they become the victim, they become the trauma, they hold on to that negative, and it, that becomes them. Or... My personal experience, I use that trauma to know exactly what I didn't want to do. But it also has put me, it put me into a fight or flight mode for a long, 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 long time. And therefore, my awareness around it was extremely hyper. 
and because I was trying to suppress my clairvoyancy and because I didn't want to face it, it actually put me into awkward situations where the universe was forcing me to pay attention. So I can walk into a room and I can read the room. And I didn't want to do that. So I was like in these situations and they were happening. I was always able to get out of them because I was always had this intuitive part of me to get out of situations where everybody else was going to jail. I was already out because I knew it was going to happen beforehand. Uh-huh. So not because I'm a narc or anything. I just... People don't listen. People don't want to uh-huh. listen to me. And so this was back then. And I was like, because they're like, who are you? How do you know this? You know, or, and I'm just like, you know, you can listen or you don't have to listen. So, you know, I would be out weeks beforehand. But when you have that trauma aspect to it, it's not clairvoyancy. It's a hypersensitivity to not wanting to be hurt. The fear, mm-hmm. the fear factor you don't want to get, you know, all of this trauma that you've been through. It it makes you hypervigilant to your surroundings because you don't want to be put into those situations. And so your body, your subconscious automatically triggers you to not go towards that direction. And this also yeah. can create issues in the future of growth, because what happens is you need to rewire your neurons to actually figure out that, you know, those things aren't bad now, like certain things you won't try or you won't do because of the the subconscious triggers that happen because you've experienced a negative thing and your, your mind correlates that with, with that. And then it triggers and then you're not able to get through things. So, you know, there's a difference between the, the trauma aspect and the actual clairvoyancy of that. And then when you open up into a spiritual work and you start working with that hallucinogenics have actually been known to help break open those parts of your brain so that you can deal with trauma and depression and things like that. And I actually collected some information for you that okay. I wanted to share before we get off. Like, um, yeah, sure. from one of the, the most well-known, his name is Dr. David E. Nichols, and he's a leading expert on psychedelic pharmacology. Okay. And because the thing is, is I, what I wanted to share is that psychedelics aren't addictive. And what we're talking about psychedelics are classic psychedelics. And those are mushrooms and LSD and um, things. But like, you know, like heroin, cocaine and MDMA and all of these other things, these are reinforcing effects. And he talks about this, you know, like heroin actually like builds up inside of your body and then you need it. Cocaine does the same thing. The only thing that LSD does that would be like like kind of like similar to a drug that you would physically be addicted to is that it does build up. So you you have to do more and more more and more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To get the high that you want. But I would have to disagree to a level on that because I would say it depends on the strength of the LSD. Because, for example, whenever I was doing it, we were getting the crystal form that was directly from a family that had gotten the pass down from Timothy Leary, the guy who worked with, who, who invented the substance and who worked with Baba Ram Dass and before he was Ram Dass. And, you know, they would do these experiments. And when I, what I experienced is the more cleaner, the less you had to take even throughout like taking it every day. So when you're taking gel tabs or you're taking like all of these different, they're cut with all of these things to make oh, them sure. stick to the paper, stick to the things, you know, but liquid form, we would take the grain alcohol, break the crystal down, and then we would take it. And then those were the moments of pure, like I wasn't, but I didn't take it in any form. I always took it in liquid form. Oh, that's probably a lot safer. You know, Joey was getting his off the black market and God only knows what's 
what was in his. And he was doing a lot of DMT. Did you ever do DMT? I've done DMT twice. I did actually, or three times. I did once. It was an actual form of DMT that was man-made. Oh. And so there's different mm-hmm. kinds. Mm-hmm. And it messed my world up. It yeah. was like 20 minutes of pain and vomiting. And it was yeah. really wild. And it was, it was like I was in a room full of people that weren't there. Wow. And it wasn't real. And then, but the second time that I did DMT, my friend was like, I have God in a jar. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and he's like, I have God in a jar. So he said, let's just set this up or whatever. And so I laid down on the bed. Uh, he had the great, he was a deadhead. He had the Grateful Dead playing in the background. And I s- smoked it. Okay. And I smoked the DMT. And it was probably the most clarifying trip I had ever had before my last time. And it was not scary. It was not anything. I literally went into a kaleidoscope of color and he kept telling me to open my eyes, but I didn't want to open my eyes. And every time I had a moment of anxiety or freak out, it was like the color would come in as like, it was like a person or like a a energy would come in and like touch me and call my, my nerves or call my brain. And so I was in this, this color bubble of music with a bigger consciousness just telling me to enjoy the space I was in. Because mm-hmm. DMT, DMT is a drug that is extracted and can be extracted from any living thing. Yeah, we have it in our body, right? DMT is in every living organism. It's in yeah. every plant, every animal, every, every living organism. It's, it's in there. It's the, it's, the, you know, it's the consciousness part of our body. And I, I personally believe that water correlates with DMT because it's the only thing in our, in our in that we need to be conscious. If we don't have it, we don't breathe. We don't. Oh, we can't live without it. And just for parents and others to know about DMT, it as from what I you can tell me if this is true. What I understand, it's a hallucinogen, but instead of lasting like eight hours or a whole day, it lasts twenty minutes. It's it's like a mm-hmm. giant. Cool. Very, very intense and quick experience. And so it can either be really, really great or really, really terrible. <laughs> and But it's over quickly. Exactly. It is. It's, it's very quick. And another thing, indigenous cultures have used a, a type of DMT. They all have different names for it. But they would do is they shoot it up your nose and then you have your spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. And that was the third time I did it. And that was the last time that I did it. Okay. And that was my vision. Okay. That's where it was right before I came to Costa Rica. I wasn't doing the drugs at the time, but this was done underneath the watch of a a specialist, uh, an actual chief. And I was trying to correct my body so that I could clean up so that when I got to Costa Rica, I could start on my sober path. Okay. And it hit my brain and I went straight into the ground and I went straight out into the universe and I sat there and I could see everything in front of me. Like I could see the whole universe and it wasn't like I was having a freak out or it wasn't any of that. I was literally sitting there in the, the meditation pose that everybody knows. And I was looking out across the great expanse and that's it. And then I literally had my connection. That's when I connected purely to the universe (laughs) because I've always had that connect that, you know, that clairvoyant connection, but that was the time, that was the day that I connected and got the, the head space where I get down. I literally am in my kitchen cooking and I get like conversations with the universe. And it wow. sometimes I'm just like, stop. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just want to be 
just do normal, normal regular, <laughs> everyday things, and you're like out into the universe. Wow, it was with DMT, so you came down quickly after that. And that, but then, like, what did you do after you like see the universe and have this clarity? Like, how do you proceed? <laughs> what do you do next? I just continue doing what I do. I I, I didn't. I it just verified that I needed to continue on the path of sobriety, okay. and I needed to continue on the path to get to where I am now, to where I can help people. Because I've always known that I wanted to hold space for people. And I'm actually having a live on Friday on Instagram about holding space because I want to open up my space about holding space because, you know, that's what it's about. And that's what I've learned through these experiences and these open spaces of consciousness. Uh And, you know, is what I've learned is that holding space is the most powerful thing you can do. Okay. What, What does that exactly mean? Holding space? Well, holding space is being there for people. It's being there. It's opening up yourself to be able to take in the pain of others, basically, without taking it in. It's almost like compassion. So my friend held space for me. So basically, when I have hard times and I I need somewhere to vent or I need something to do or I need something to, you know, somewhere to get rid of all of this anxiety or this aggression or just confusion or whatever, I'm always mindful of who I talk to. And before I even talk about it, I'm like, are you in a place to take on my energy Mm -hmm. right now? Because I'm about to unload on you. You know, I always try to be aware of like the other person may not be in a space. Yeah, they may be like, ah, may not be ready for this. Not today. (laughs) So holding space is basically being available. Exactly. And, And holding space is just being available to open up and hold space for people to break open, to unwind, to unload to connect, you know, it doesn't always have to be a negative experience, you know, holding uh-huh. space is all about just really being there for the people that you are in your, in your community or, yeah. are there for you. And chiefs like Dalai Lama and gurus and people, that's what they do. And, you know, every, by holding space, they, they help people mm-hmm. by yeah. putting the message out there. So I don't think I usually call it this, but I think this is what I've been doing with my son, which has been working so beautifully because he's able to tell me stuff and I've learned to not flip out Mm -hmm. and go, you did what? Or, oh my God, we need to do X, Y, Z. I'm able to just say, wow, that must be really tough. Or, huh, what are you going to do about that? (laughs) But avoiding the, now you need to do this. Now I'm going to fix you. I'm going to tell you what to do. Exactly. And it's so important. You're holding space for him. And this, this podcast that you're doing, you're holding space for other people. Mm -hmm. You're giving them a, a place to listen and to hear the message that, you know, what they're going through, they're not the only ones. Yeah. And it's also allowing them to get information on how to hold space and how to do it for their own kids and how to, you know, do that. So, yes, it's been so helpful. And I've learned this through just so many different people and books and my life coach and, and you, everybody just kind of adds to this puzzle, but it's been so great because now Joey comes to me, which is what I want. It's important. I want him to come to me and not to some drug dealer or some crazy person, you know, some who knows who's out there that might take advantage of him or want him to do something for some other nefarious reasons. I want him to come to me. So by me being grounded and able to take his stuff, which took a lot of work on my part, I have to say, this took a lot of work. Especially being a mother, you're being his mother, you know, that's what I didn't have. I didn't have someone I could go to. So I was always turning to these people that had no 
had no personal interest in what I want. There was always wanting to get something out of me, yeah. whether it was sexual, whether it was more drugs or money or whatever yeah. it was, there was, there was always an ulterior motive. Whereas yeah. you being his mother, and this is what I want my daughter to grow up to be, mm-hmm. you know, we're a sober family, but we're also a family that has a lineage of alcoholics and drug addicts. Yeah. And her father is an addict, but he's been sober for uh, 15 years. Okay, great. But the thing is, is he's very like, if she's drinks or she does this, I'm going to be like this. And I'm like, no, you're not. Because that's going to make her run. Yeah. Uh, The reason why I know that, because I was that person. And I don't want her to run to anybody else because I want her to understand. And as soon as she gets old enough, I'm going to let her know if you're going to drink or if you're going to make these decisions, these adult decisions, but you can't handle it. Or if you get in a sticky situation, make sure you call mama because I've been there. And even if I'm a mom that hasn't been there. I think parents should be more open to realizing that the people that they're raising are people. They're having their own experiences. They're doing their own things. And the more you push them and try to make them and force them to do things, the Mm -hmm. less they're going to trust you, the less they're going to come to you, and the more problems they're going to have in the future. Absolutely. You know, this is not a a path I would have chosen for my son by a long shot. I I mean, Mm -hmm. it's completely derailed him at at this point, but you know, I'm not doing anything that my parents wished I would have done. Heck, you know, I'm a lesbian that for that's a big one. I'm not their religion anymore. I moved halfway across the country. I, I did music as a career for God's sake. That's like the most ridiculous career choice anyone could choose. Right. You know, <laughs> you know That's awesome. I, it's a beautiful career. I, 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 and I love it. And, but it is absolutely not what my parents would have chosen. Now I didn't go the drugs route and all that, but some of the choices I made, I'm sure really, really hurt my family and triggered them. And were like, what is she doing? But I'm super happy with the way my life turned out. And I, I think about that with Joey, like, you know, I never would have chosen for him to use drugs, but Look at the amount of growth that he's had and that I've I've had, our whole family. And I hope that someday he'll be able to help a lot of other kids and other families. And, you know, everybody's on their path. That's all I'm saying. So everybody's on their path. And the more we can just be there for each other and just accept that everyone's on their own path. We are not and our hold children. Space. Mm-hmm. And hold space. Exactly. And just be there for when they're struggling and just just listen and and Sometimes I help problem solve, but most of the time he doesn't want me to help him problem solve. He just and you don't need to, yeah. And that's the, that's the that's the beauty of it, and that's so powerful that what you're talking about. Because the thing is, is that you don't need to. Sometimes people don't need your opinion. They don't need your advice. They don't need you to tell them anything. They mm-hmm. need somebody who's going to listen. Yeah. Because listening listening is an act of compassion. But being able to speak without being cut down, told, judged, or any of that, mm-hmm. that's an a release of energy and that allows the person to be open to receive other things in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And it creates that. And so that's the only thing you can do. And by pushing against that and by trying to control everything and by trying to be power hungry in the, in the essence of like, you know, I, it's not the, like you said, it's not the life you would have chose for your son, mm-hmm. but that's not your decision. You are a portal for his soul to come here to this planet to receive the messages that he's in the path that he's trying to do. And while there is a point in time where with addicts that, you know, it might be a good idea to step in and get help them, you know, especially like I would, I would say like the biggest one is like heroin addicts. For sure. But when it comes to that point, interventions happen. 
But, you know, when mm-hmm. it comes to these explorative situations, it's a little bit different. And, and I even see it in my two-year-old. Like, she is experiencing life for the first time every single day. And mm-hmm. as, a, as a baby, as a two-year-old, I see it. She doesn't know how to deal with emotions, so she does certain things to get attention, and she does certain things. And it's not the right thing, but it's the only thing she knows, and it's two little years that she's been here. So I actually apply it now, right. even though she's not, into, not oh, yeah. experimenting with drugs, thank God, at two years old. I mean, I do know two-year-olds <laughs> who are ripping bong hits, you know, when I was young. So, I mean, it's really? not, yeah. Holy I mean, I, so, I mean, it's not, it's, it's a different life. And so, I mean, that's... Yeah space that you're holding and then you're open up to, I think is a really beautiful way to, to really look, get into that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now I know that my son can't possibly be the only teenager using psychedelics. I think it's out there more than people realize, by the way, DMT, you can vape it. Mm -hmm. A lot of parents think just vaping is just nicotine or a cigarette replacement. Oh no, no, no. They can vape cannabis. They can vape DMT, a bunch of stuff. So I want to make sure parents know that. And what would you tell a parent that found out their kid is using psychedelics particularly? What advice would you give them? I would tell them to be in a place of serenity. I would not attack. I would not go full force. And I would try to find other people who have experienced it and talk to them about it before you approach. Because mm-hmm. especially if, they're, if, if you know that they're doing psychedelics or let's say they're in the middle of a trip. Like they're in the middle of using mm-hmm. it and they tell you and you freak out. Mm-hmm. You could trigger mm-hmm. them to literally have a mental breakdown. So you have yeah. to be cautious. Where are they at on their journey with the psychedelics? Come at them as you would want somebody to come at you. Put yourself yeah. in their yeah. shoes. Don't allow yourself to be to be overcome with emotion and anger and disappointment because those are your emotions, not their emotions. And if you decide to deflect those emotions into them, it will cause trauma. Yeah. And then they'll want to rebel and go do it some more. And And so and you can't stop people from doing, especially at a certain age, you can't stop people from doing things. But what parents need to do is they need to educate themselves. And yes, it's not even that LSD Mm -hmm. is more accessible than it used to be or mushrooms are more accessible. What's happening is the Internet is more accessible. <laughs> well, yes, they can find anything, any knowledge, any information. And you as a parent can find anything as well. And yeah. so like, you know, I'm going to repeat his name for those parents out there that want to like get some real information on it, Dr. David E. Nichols. And he has a lot of information out there. He's one of the top scientists on okay. psychedelics and He's the Purdue guy that's working on the the trials. Is that the guy? He does do trials. I can't say whether or not the he's the Purdue trials? guy, but he does clinical trials, yes. Ah, uh, yeah, I've heard of this guy. Yeah. I mean, it's like for real. There's real above board scientific stuff going on. It's not just like you know, a bunch of Grateful Dead people doing this anymore. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is this stuff has been visible for a very long time. And it's been, and the thing is, is it's been going underground. The the, the problem was, is the government tried to control it like they did him. Um, MDMA was a serotonin. serotonin. It it actually helps with depression. LSD and mushrooms, they actually help with depression and clinical things. And, and, And these are all natural substances. This isn't new. The government knows. Oh, no. And they say, oh, well, we haven't done any studies on it. No, they have done studies on it, and they found out what happens, and it allows people to have a more open mind about life, yeah. and they can control them less. And therefore, yeah, yeah. so yeah. that's the reason why that's it. But now all these new studies are being done because you know what? 
those people that were doing the studies on back in the 60s are now the people that are the doctors and the scientists that are doing the yeah. studies now. So it came around full circle and the government's like, oh, shit. Yeah, these people are the people yeah. that we, ooh, well, we broke them open. You know what I mean? So, I mean, uh, if, I were, uh, yeah. if I could tell parents anything, it's to just be compassionate and hold space for your kids. Because yeah. the way, if the, yeah. the more anger and the more resentment and the more that you hold, yeah. that's your resentment. Because you didn't yeah. break the kid that you thought you were going to create. And that's not that's fair right. to you that's and right. it's not fair to them. Because what's going to happen right. is it's going to put them into a place where they don't trust you. And then you're going to be in a place yeah. of despair. And then there's going to be arguments and there's going to be disconnect. And then there's going to be all this and there's going to be all the finger pointing and the blaming. And the, it's yeah. not a problem. The only problem yeah. is, is not being able to understand each other. And if yeah. there's no addiction there. They're not addicted to the drug. They're addicted to the experience. For sure. And the, the drug itself won't kill you. But you could do some really stupid shit while you're on it that could kill you. <laughs> right? It's it's not harmless. It's not harmless. It can create it can create problems. I mean, you it can, you know, especially if there's stuff out there now. The stuff out there now, there's a lot of different chemicals that are put into it and like stuff like Oh yeah, and you always have to be careful of fentanyl and yeah. stuff. That especially, yeah. good yeah. lord, that's a, that's just like the craziest thing that's happened to drugs in forever. But yeah, it's terrible. With LSD and things like that, it depends because, for instance, I do know that to get the LSD to stick to paper, they use chemicals that are in like rat poison and stuff like that. So if oh. you get to these things, these levels where you're taking large doses, it can create illnesses and problems. Now, with yeah. us, when I was doing it, we were using 100% grain alcohol, breaking it yeah. down. And I mean, it wasn't the kind you stuck in your eye because it burnt like hell. But you, you know, I physically took over 70 hits at one time. And this was not on purpose. Ooh. I wasn't trying to do that. I was tripping and I made a bad decision. And I, I was like, oh, uh -huh. and I was chewing on the bottle. That's the next thing I know. And oh my, my friend gosh. was like, what are you doing? And I was gone for three days. And that's when I cracked Whoa. open. What are some things people can do if they, if they or their kid are using psychedelics? I'm all about harm reduction. What can people do to stay safer uh, using psychedelics? Always have a sober person around. Whenever yeah. we do our trips, there was always one person that stayed with us that was sober. Yep. They sometimes call it a guide or a, a trip sitter. Yep, a trip sitter. When it comes to like you experimenting or you getting in, there's, you should always have somebody there that knows how to deal with it. If you, in case you have a start yeah. going into a back, a bad trip or a black hole or yeah. anything like that, you know, that's, that's the safest thing you can do is have somebody there who's yeah. experienced that sober. Yeah. That's really, really important. Joey did most of his psychedelics by himself in his bedroom, which is so scary to me. So now he knows to get a trip sitter and, um, I don't think he's done it super recently, but when he does, he does get somebody to sit with him. So that's good. I feel really lucky that I read Michael Pollan's book before this all went down with my son. Have you ever read that book, How to Change Your Mind? Mm -mm. But I have to look it up. You have to send it to me because I'm all about books. Yeah. Okay. You would really like it. And I feel really lucky. I just landed on it. I think he did an interview with Terry Gross or something on NPR. And this was before I knew anything about what was going on with Joey. And he talks about psychedelics. And in the book, he tries, I think, three different kinds. I think he did ayahuasca and mushrooms and LSD and writes about it. And it's a fabulous book and it helped me really understand psychedelics. So when I found out that he tested positive for psychedelics, when he landed in the psych hospital after a suicide attempt, I didn't freak out nearly as bad as I would have, because I would have thought, 
oh my God, he's going to die. But I knew, I knew the psychedelics wouldn't kill him. I was very concerned because how a 15 year old gets into psychedelics, that's a whole like area of concern, right? right? Like, why would he be using that? But I felt really lucky that I had read that book. And I really recommend that book to anyone that's concerned about psychedelics or is curious about it or interested in using them or whatever for adults, adults only. Mm. <laughs> um, I, I'm also concerned about kids using it because their brains are not formed yet. Their frontal lobe's not done till they're like 25. So I've, I'm scared yeah. about kids using any substances really, but just, it's not done cooking yet. So let's just let it cook. And when you're 25, you can do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But for people like the younger generation, the reason why they're excelling and they're like, you know, they're pushing through and they're like trying all of these experimenting younger ages and doing all that is because the bigger consciousness is waking up and the planet shifted. The planet shifted a few years back when that earthquake happened in Haiti and it literally tilted the earth by like yeah. a, by like an inch or like a quarter of an inch or something like that. But that's huge in the aspect of it. And so all this chaos sure. and this stuff that's happening in the earth right now is the polar caps are changing. And so people are just don't want to hear that message. They don't want to pay attention to that. They just want to listen to what the politicians are saying. But our earth is going yeah. through a transition. And with that transition, it changes us because us as humans, we belong to the earth. We come from the earth. We go back to the earth. Right, right. What The only thing that is not connected here is our spirit. Our spirit is universal. Our bodies are natural mm -hmm. beings of this planet. Mm -hmm. And so we are connected yep. to this planet. When we stick our feet onto this planet, we are an electromagnetic connection to this planet. Oh, and so, you oh. know, and I learned all this tripping. <laughs> So, you know, like I, I know all this, not because I've been reading through it. I knew all this before I ever picked up a book. It's part of the clairvoyancy wow. as well. Like I, I just know, I know things that I, you know, I so connected. So it's just, you know, it's just about that. That's what I was going at. The transitioning it's the transition is hard because we've been programmed not to receive and we've been programmed not to do these things. And so that's what it's about. The transition is really hard. And there's people that help you through that. I just talked to a guy yesterday. His yeah. name is Chris. He does. It's called uh, stepping stones healing. And he actually, he helps people transition from their, their program selves into their spiritual space because that that transition can be extremely extremely depressing it can be hard it can be lonely uh -huh. it can be so you know it's almost like a bad trip you get taught the truth uh -huh, and uh -huh. then you're just like well why have I been living this life my whole life and what is and you've been lied to and that's what happened to me I realized that my government and my family and my people and that they was all a lie that it was all whitewashed and power about power hungry men. And, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. I was like, no, not anymore. And, you know, I don't claim yeah. and identify as like these like extreme feminists or like all of this, but I, I, I identify as a soul consultant because I know where I sit in this program. And so that yeah. we call her. Yeah, yeah. Now tell me the soul consultant, tell me what exactly you do. Like, who do you help? What do you do? What does it look like? As a soul consultant, I am able to sit with people and talk with them and help them get through blocks in their life and their energy. When I'm in person, I can actually put my hands on people and kind of like motion through their body and find where their get like pains are associated with actual physical pain or if that's a, a energetical force pain. As a soul consultant, I use tarot via the internet because it's like a little bit better of a tangible access to like really kind of get into the messaging because it's a little bit 
different when you're in person than when you are not in person. But mm-hmm. I, I have also meshed that with my copywriting and my marketing because my goal is to create a space for people who are in that healing space to market themselves. But I want to help okay. people, but my main goal is to help people transition as well, like I was talking about with the others. So the purpose of the soul consulting and why I call it soul consulting is and the consulting is S-O-U-L. There's it's it's a play on mm-hmm. words, but What I do is I work with people to overcome trauma. I work with people to overcome subconscious blocks that they're going through that might be caused by that trauma. And I help people really transition into the knowledge of and connecting with clients or connecting with the people or the audiences that they want to connect with. I help them get through what I call Karen syndrome and um, dealing with uh, (laughs) white privilege, the word white privilege and breaking patriarchal ways. And you said you were a lesbian. Some people struggle with dealing with that. And, you know, I help them through that. But I'm like, why does it matter? I'm Mm -hmm. a huge ally with the gay community and with, you know, with equal rights. And I try to help people transition and understand those spaces because a lot of people in society just aren't able to really process them. But why? It's not a question of why. It's a question of you not being able to accept the fact that what they're doing has nothing to do with you. Why are Mm -hmm. you, it's because people are so about themselves and so separate and, you know, individualized that they don't realize that we're all part of the same thing. But at the same time, if one person decides to love another person and they're the same sex, what does that got to do with you? And why are you angry about it? So I help people transition. So it's being a soul consultant helps people transition into a different part of a way that they think and to get out of the programming that this world has placed on us. Oh, that's great. So if someone's like, maybe at a crossroads, or maybe just realizing, God, ugh, I just, uh, I don't feel like I'm in the right space right now. And I need to move this way or that way. You could help them. That's with exactly that. what I Is do. That, I help them find ways a good to space. move through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you have such a rich life full of experiences, good and bad, but all of it informs you and makes you who you are, which is amazing. And well, definitely unique. I don't know too many people like you. And I'm super <laughs> impressed. <laughs> I'm super impressed that you're using all of your experiences, good and bad, to help other people. That's, you know, that's, the goal. that's what it's all about, right? Yep, that's the goal. That's, what it's all that's about. definitely the goal. How do people get a hold of you, Tamara? So you can find me on Instagram at the.soul.consultant and in consultant is S-O-U-L. And then you can always sign up for Woo Woo News. It's a newsletter that I put out that explains and talks about all of these different things. And I do book reviews. And that's at tg-writer.com. I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. So it's just real simple. TG, uh, tg-writer, like I'm a writer.com. So yeah. And then if you want to okay. email me, it's Tamara at tg-writer.com. And then you can access me there. It has all of my handles. It has all of my, you know, my signups and all of that. So Okay. I'll link all that in the show notes in case you didn't have a pencil when she was just saying all that. Go look in the notes and I'll put that all in there. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you'd like to talk about or that anything else you'd like to say? I really hope that people understand that beyond the hallucinogenics and beyond, you know, even with anybody with addiction and especially with a child with an addiction problem, that parents can be more compassionate and more opening and more willing to receive and try to find the root causes versus trying to push away and try to control. I really pray and hope that we can start using that one collective consciousness to help our kids involve into loving, caring, compassionate people. And that starts with you as a parent. 
I am 100% on board with you with that. Totally agree. 100%. I think that's so important. And that's why I'm doing this podcast and getting the word out as much as I can to help our kids. I'm so glad you are. It's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful you were here to talk to me all the way from Costa Rica. Make sure and share this episode if you know anyone else with someone struggling with addiction or if somebody's using psychedelics and you're not sure what's going on or if anyone you know that just needs this information or is interested in clairvoyancy or getting some support around a transition that they're personally having, please share this episode. Go ahead and find us on social media. We're on all the places. You can also hear this episode on YouTube or any of your podcast apps. And we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash safe home. If you would like to support us with a donation of five, 10 or $25 a month to help us maintain our commercial free podcast and other workshops and events that we do around here at safe home. I want to welcome our newest Patreon member, Angela. Thank you so much for your support, Angela. We're glad to have you on board. Thank you. I think that's it. So thank you again, Tamara. I appreciate you. you coming on. And Tamara and I both want you to stay, stay safe. safe.